Welcome back, podcast listeners. We're at episode 46. I'm stoked you're here with me. I'm stoked you listen. I appreciate it. It feels so weird to just sit in uh, a quiet room and talk to myself. <laughs> so, I appreciate the support. Um, I'm going to try out, I'm trying out some new microphone things too automatic level control feedback protection so we'll see if the audio quality is a little better than usual you let me know um i was on these uh kind of reminiscing podcasts i think i stopped at uh the end of 1994 and uh have all kinds of notes about 1995 but i realized looking back in the 94 content that i hadn't talked much about uh tattoos and uh, 94 was kind of a substantial time for me as, uh, as like my interest in uh, tattooing and tattoo art was growing. But I want to go back a little bit um, just to kind of set, uh, I don't know, just a little background story, I guess, about my interest in tattoos and whatnot. Um, and that would have started really honestly when... My family moved us to Albuquerque, New Mexico in about 1980. And uh, I just remember seeing a lot of the local uh, Latino guys had these really cool uh, black and gray tattoos, which were very different than the style of tattoos I'd seen in, say, movies and whatnot that featured more sailor style tattooing the bold line and few colors uh these tattoos i was seeing in albuquerque were done with a very fine line and uh were really ornately shaded in just tones of black and gray uh i think pretty early on my father noticed my interest in the tattoos and uh, warned me to be respectful <laughs> when I was uh, staring at, at people that had uh, tattoos that were visible. Uh, particularly, I remember this happening at the uh, flea market in Albuquerque, which we frequented on Sundays. We'd go uh, after church. Usually, our, our usual thing back then would have been to go to church, uh, Catholic church, at like I think it was an 8.30 mass. We'd go to the early one and kind of beat the rush. And then uh, after that, we would go have breakfast at a restaurant somewhere. And sometimes that might be the only occasion in the week that we ate out in a restaurant. And I always really looked forward to that. We had our favorite spots. Um, but uh, sometimes, you know, after breakfast, we would go to the flea market Occasionally, we would be selling. Um, my dad had a, what was it? I think it was a 49 Chevy Suburban. Uh, it was really all original, pretty beat up, a little rusty. Um, but the interior was clean. I think he might have had somebody do that for him. Uh, we were able to put my three-wheeler motorcycle in the back of it. It was pretty handy. Uh, but anyway... We'd be there at the the flea market, and, you know, if we were just kind of walking around, I was like 10 years old at the time, maybe 9, 
and uh, kind of just the right height for my eyes to be locked into grown men's forearms when they were just walking walking around it was like that was the the, the height of my eyes i think at the time and uh so i was able to really get a good look at people um but of course my dad had warned me not to go too far <laughs> but i i recognized a lot of the things in the the tattoos on these guys at the flea market that i was seeing at church was the guadalupe and the jesus different crosses um I remember seeing too a lot of uh the prison towers barbed wire fences uh i remember seeing the peacock a lot too and it wasn't until quite a bit later that i started to learn what all that stuff meant um but i was really fascinated by it uh and it was you know what i thought quite a localized style which i learned you know it was actually popular in quite a few states in the southwest that style um but it wasn't until i guess a, you know a big thing with the tattoo art for me was first of all looking at uh magazines i think international what was it called tattoo shit i can't remember the names of the old tattoo magazines there were a few that were really good and there was a few that were just terrible um but if I, you just went to a grocery store or 7-eleven on the magazine rack they'd usually have some tattoo things and i would look through that stuff um all the time and i remember uh that's when i started to see more colorful kind of different style tattoos than the ones i was seeing in albuquerque um i remember starting to see biomechanical work um mostly by a guy named guy atchison um i believe it was in like 88 or 89 that i got to see a set of his flash in person at a fine line tattoo in uh, albuquerque right on route 66 um brian everett's uh shop really high respected place and really renowned for that fine line black and gray stuff that i grew up looking at but they were open to all kinds of stuff, you know, and uh, had that guy Atchison flash up. And I remember going in there just to look at it. Um, I don't even think I was old enough to get a tattoo there at that point without my dad's permission or something. Um, but I just remember that biomechanical kind of colorful, a lot of depth. It kind of redefined what I thought was possible as a tattoo. And that was a, a big moment. I, you know, soon after that, I started writing graffiti, and there were these kind of connections to how a graffiti writer might approach developing depth and light and um, use of color and whatnot. And the similar things were happening in the the world of tattoo art. Um, then I, th I guess it was in '92. I think it was 92. I was finally ready to get my first tattoo. And uh, my friend, uh, Mr. Went, had been tattooing for, gosh, maybe a year or two bef um, at that point. Maybe just a year. Um, I believe I remember him using a jail rig 
kind of uh, machine made out of uh, like a a big pen and a guitar string and a ba- uh, uh, a motor from a, a Walkman uh, tape deck radio. Um, but I don't think it was too long until he got like real good equipment in his hands, and uh, we had been writing graffiti together a bunch, um, especially with him and his brother. And uh, I remember even drawing back pieces on his brother with Sharpies <laughs> way before I was making tattoos or anything like that. They were pretty fun. Um, so, yeah, I think it was 92. I got a design from my friend Joker, IHU crew. And uh, I just told him I wanted to get like a kind of a armband style uh thing to go around my like let's see yeah that was my left arm um and it says giant although it's very abstract and i can kind of point it out to you even today if you know you want to see where the letter forms are uh but it was kind of the thing to do at that time was things like tribal armbands were popular and i didn't want to be you know, so cliched to get a tribal armband, but I thought that it was a smart place to put a tattoo, um, to keep it hidden under a t-shirt. And that was only important to me at first because my father had explained that a lot of the guys that had the tattoos, um, that I saw at the flea market that I really dug were done in, uh, in prison. And when you put tattoos out in the open in public people will judge you and people will often assume that you were in prison and that might really kind of hurt your chances for getting a good job later on if you become reformed and want to become a regular part of society the tattoos will kind of always be kind of getting in your way so to speak. So it was a really, really big decision to have visible tattoos because you were really uh, visibly rejecting the norms of regular society, uh, for better or worse. Um, So it was just something to think about. So, of course, with my first one, I think I was, let's see, I would have been 20, 21 by then. Um... I had had plenty of opportunities to get tattoos for free from my friends with their jail rigs, but I always resisted. I would host uh, tattoo parties even at my apartment, but I I would never get them. (laughs) Something about it. I was just not down. But, uh, you know, by by 92, I was ready. Uh, Joker drew up a really cool design for me. I gave it to Mr. Went, and he was like, yeah, I can do this. And he had asked me to come to... A tattoo shop that he was working at at the time I think it might have been the first shop that he ever worked at and it was uh, out on the west side of Albuquerque which the local snow could be trouble <laughs> um, and I I wish I could remember the name of the tattoo shop but uh, I, I asked went because we were really good friends you know um, I don't expect you to do this for free, you know, like how much should I bring? And he was like, well, 
I'm not really planning on charging you because we're doing something cool and I want to do this. Um, but you need to bring something for the owner of the shop, you know, because he ain't trying to let me just work on my friends for free, you know. And I was like, cool, what does he want? And he asked this dude and whose name was Gator. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that random ass detail, but they called him Gator, if I remember right. And uh, uh, Gator just had asked for a bottle of Jack Daniels. So on my way to go see Mr. Went for my first tattoo, I stopped at Walgreens near the college and I, I, I grabbed, uh, I don't know what size bottle. It was like the 20 something dollar size. <laughs> I don't even know. But anyway, so I headed off, off to the west side, all the way up Route 66, the whole way, and uh, pulled in the parking lot and there's Gator sitting on the hood of a car with his buddy. And, uh, I must have looked obvious as fuck. So as soon as I stepped out the car, he was like, Hey, you, you're Wentz, buddy. You're getting a tattoo. You got something for me? And I was like, yeah, it's right here. Gave him the bag and he was like, right on. Enjoy yourself. And I, I went in the shop and went was super cool. I feel like he was a, a little bit nervous, but nothing that, you know, kind of made me think he was incapable of doing it for sure. Um, I remember, you know, just trying to figure out how to tattoo all the way around the arm is tricky. Like, you kind of have to, it's, <laughs> the hardest part of tattooing to me is stretching the skin properly and going all the way around an upper arm. You're going through a bunch of kind of what I would consider stretch zones. So, you kind of have to maneuver the client a bunch of times, you know, between, and there's a lot of ways to do it. You can do it on a massage table or just using an armrest or just having them kind of lean back into your lap even with their arm out. Um, but regardless, they're going to be flipping around and it's it's a lot trickier than you'd think just doing a fucking armband. Um, and we probably laid the stencil on a few times because it wasn't lining up right. It was really hard to line things up underneath the arm when you kind of couldn't see <laughs> what you were doing. And uh, But we, we got it on there. I remember it hurt like hell, especially the inside of the arm, and was like, of course, having a, a huge appreciation for all the tattooed people I saw around me then, knowing how much it can hurt. You know, I know the underarm is particularly sensitive, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it was uh, a wake-up call and a rite of passage, and uh, and I was pumped, you know? I remember, uh, let's see, 92, I think in 92, I was living on my own, um, in an apartment, um, kind of near more my parents' neighborhood in the, the Heights in Albuquerque, they call it, near Del Norte High School, and, uh, I must have at some point gone to see my folks, uh, and I remember showing the tattoo to my mom and I think she just started crying right away <laughs> you know and uh I was like you know fuck I'm, I'm sorry you, you feel that way about it I'm super fucking pumped on it and uh she just explained to me that because she made me she had always kind of seen me as this perfect little human and uh that didn't need to be fixed or altered or uh, you know, any of that kind of thing. And for me to see 
you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe I need to add something to this to make it more me, you know? And I think that kind of hurt her feelings. But I understood. And uh, eventually she started, I think, to adjust to it, even to the point when I was getting my head and hands and throat and stuff done. By then it was like, fuck it, you know, (laughs) I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not really a reflection on my uh, parents at all. They did a fantastic job. If anything, I think it shows my dedication to things. If I get into something and I like it, and I get good feedback from it, I will dedicate a lot of energy to it. So the tattoos are just kind of a, almost a symbol of the intensity that I can put towards things when I set my mind to it. Even uncomfortable, painful, expensive things like tattoos. <laughs> Again, for better or worse. Uh, so after that first one, not long after I moved to San Francisco and just had one armband <laughs> and all of a sudden was uh, literally living next door to Everlasting Tattoo, which is a uh, world-class, uh, highly creative, it has a, a real legacy. You know, it was one of the, the first custom shops in San Francisco. Um you know, just r- real early innovators, people that had real individual styles. It wasn't the usual sailor stuff or like the fine line kind of cholo stuff that I grew up seeing. It was new. It was different. It was like people that were artists um, coming into the tattoo scene and uh, bringing their art to life and skin and finding their clientele. And that was a whole kind of new thing. And it was kind of... I suppose serendipity at this point that I happened to move into a house right next door to everlasting. So I was seeing people mostly smoking cigarettes out front, um, taking breaks while they were getting tattooed. And I would just be coming, you know, home or leaving usually with my skateboard under my arm. And I would just stop and look and say, hi. Um, I slowly got to know the people there. Um, I, Uh, roommates had already known them for a while and had you know socialized with them often remember uh the first fourth of july that i was in that house um i guess it was the only one and uh the guys at uh, everlasting were shooting bottle rockets into our windows on the second floor (laughs) and we were shooting shit back at them and it it was it was that kind of fun chaos like drunken tomfoolery uh, you know but still you know everybody in those in those two buildings were super super creative uh i think i th- i'm not sure if mike davis owned it outright alone um in those years and i'm thinking we're talking 93 94 uh but he was there. He was already legendary. Uh, had a real particular style. Could handle really different kinds of work. And I don't know. It was just very kind of, to me, kind of in the vein of Ed Hardy, where Ed was a real artist and had a lot of skills before he came into tattooing that he 
brought to tattooing and it, it uh, brought things to it. But Ed would let you bring in a painting or a, you know, a photograph or something as inspiration. It didn't have to be something that he had drawn that you had to pick off the wall like usual, you know. And that was a whole new thing. And uh, Mike Davis is one of those guys to me. He, you can kind of give him any subject and he'll do it well and he'll think about it. And his uh, abilities to create scenes like his paintings especially uh, translates to tattoos really, really well. He also, I'm not sure about this, but like... I, because I'm colorblind, need to have the colors kind of marked out. That's why markers are convenient, because it's just one color and one marker, and it's easy for me to kind of keep track of that. Um, and the same with paint. If I'm painting, I need a palette that just has all the colors I'm going to need, and I rarely mix between them to create different colors, because that's where my eyes start to lose what I'm doing, and they look like shit. But then there's certain people that are painterly in their approach to color. And uh, when I later on, when I ended up working with Mike Davis, I, th I think I saw that where he can just kind of dab between a few colors, hit the machine on and off a few times to see what colors in the tube and then put that in the skin with confidence. And that's something I could never do. Uh, George Campisi is able to do that really well too. Very painterly, um, kind of systematic approach that um, I just don't have the, the visual range for. Um, so my work ends up looking much, much more simplistic in, in palette. Um, but again, that became part of my style. And uh, luckily that was marketable or you know people dug it even though it was so simplified or maybe because it was so simplified but in any case um so i was living next door to the the first shop i think it had a butterfly painted on the front and uh i remember there was this guy aaron kane that was there um i think he's back east somewhere now but um at the time he was there and he had a very particular biomechanical style um, that, again, was different. Um, Guy Atchison, I think, had kind of laid a bit of the groundwork, at least in uh, magazines and stuff, for getting that style out um, so the public could see it and see what the possibilities of this kind of... Uh, when I say biomechanical, it's like... It's like the tattoo is a part of your body. And often the biomechanical artist will draw the tattoos on the body so that everything accentuates the different muscle groups and accentuates how, let's say, if you're going to do a biomechanical sleeve, you're going to accentuate the curves of the natural body to make it look even more dynamic and then there's the that might be the kind of bio part of it but the bio part might also be you know in the approach to how to render the movement itself of the tattoo you can do in kind of like um, more organic almost uh, intestinal or visceral 
kinds of uh, shapes and textures to develop that movement. Or kind of the reverse of that is more of a robotic... Uh, um, you know, not human... Um, horn-like shapes uh, sometimes to make a person look like they have armor on almost some sort of futuristic bio Gundam kind of thing uh, it was really popular right around then 93 94 it's still a popular style and there's a lot of people I know even personally that do it really really well and uh, I love that style um, it's not something I ever wanted on my own body, but man, I, I really, really dig it. Uh, my friend, uh, Leo in, uh, Albuquerque has a sleeve, I believe by Guy Atchison. That's kind of early on and it, it's just fucking amazing to this day. It looks so cool. Um, but that was, uh, that was a thing. And also like there was that tribal movement. Uh, where a lot of people were getting these kind of uh, Polynesian uh, black work designs um, like Borneo I remember was a, uh, uh, a real source for the kind of tribal revival style that happened more in the 80s um, I th think even I did a tribal tramp stamp on my sister that we ended up covering up and incorporating into some way cooler stuff later on but i mean god i was doing lots of those even in the early years when i was tattooing and that was in like 98 you know much later that that that, that style really stuck but i think certain people kind of got into that style and then dove deeper and started to kind of use that same density of black ink and hard graphic shapes but used in a more modern way or say as like a uh, like a a skeleton of an animal you know um, remember Greg Culls K-U-L-Z um, he was doing a lot of these kind of big black work tattoos um it was kind of like uh if you had a almost like a, a a skull of an animal say like a snake or a lizard and you just put it on the on the body and created a stencil from that and then where all that was bone you just uh color in black so it'd be these like reverse x-rays on people and a bunch of people were getting those and some of those black work people too were feeling the biomechanical way of accentuating the muscle groups and the movement of the body itself through shape and line and dense black um you know and one of those people ended up being my mentor nala uh to this day nala's kind of I don't know. It, it is kind of like biomech black work. He did a bunch of it in that era. And I'm not sure how much he did that more. He 
tattooed much of his own body in that style too, which I thought was really remarkable about him. I, I hadn't really met many tattooers that uh, had tattooed themselves like that. A, lo a lot of them had tattooed their upper thighs when they were practicing. It's kind of common for really, really amazing tattooers to have absolute garbage on their upper legs. <laughs> um, just because that's the that's the the practice pad so to speak um but let me go back a little bit uh i guess that's fine i mean so we're getting into 94 now and my i worked with uh a guy named greg carroll at think skateboards and he was getting lots of tattoos from this guy nala and uh the it was amazing. I think it was all black and gray, if I remember right. Or maybe he had one arm that was black and gray and one color. I forget. But regardless, it all looked really, really cool. And uh, he's, he, would, he told me, like, yeah, I live with this guy. His name's Nala. And he works at uh, Ed Hardy's shop, Tattoo City. And I was like, fuck, man. I, I want to get another tattoo. Can I can I see this dude? And he was like, no fucking problem, dude. Just fucking meet him and make it happen. And uh, I'm not sure how all that went down in particular, but I, I do remember asking my friend Joker for another design to do another armband so I'd be balanced out to get one for my uh, right arm. And uh, without hesitation, he made me a really, really cool design sent it out i loved it and uh i think i just took it over to nala we had maybe already met through greg um before doing the tattoo but I, i'm not so sure um but we got the stencil on there he tattooed it really quickly i, I thought um and with a lot of confidence something i always admired about nala was his confidence and some of it was um, almost kind of like a, not a show, but a tool to put clients at ease. Almost like they would bring in something really unusual and be kind of not sure if Nala could handle it. And he'd look them square in the eye and be like, no, no, I'm the best. Like, I'll, I'll do this great. Like, I'll do this so good, you're going to be amazed. Like, I'm I'm really good, for sure. And I'm just going to laugh. But it was this, you could just see the customer, just kind of their shoulders would relax. And they'd be like, fuck, all right, I'm in good hands. This guy's serious. Here we go. Um, but I always loved that because he, he'd just be so bold about it. And as a graffiti writer, we were kind of taught to be, you know, very humble and... Um, I don't know. It's one of those things. There was always somebody in the graffiti circle that was way fucking better than you. So you better not be saying you're the fucking best. And ever. <laughs> but, you know, the world of tattooing and working with customers, it can be a different thing. For sure. But in any case, uh, he gave me that, that armband. And uh, that was so cool. I th think it wasn't long even after that... I guess it was a few years later uh, that I asked him if uh, he would teach me how to tattoo, and he had to say no because he was in no position um, 
to take on an apprentice because he worked for somebody. He worked for Ed Hardy. And back then, the usual thing was you'd take on an apprentice so that eventually they'll work for you and give you 50% of their earnings for a year or two. So you kind of get your investment back by uh, teaching them and putting all that time and effort into into that. And, uh, you know, he wasn't in a position where he could offer that to me. So I just kind of put it on the the back burner, uh, that whole idea, because there wasn't really anybody else I could think of that I would want to mentor me in that circle, in the the tattoo world. I had been warned um, by tattooer friends even early on to be very cautious about who I enter the tattoo world with because there were a lot of people that had terrible reputations and weren't actually very good technically as tattooers, but everybody kind of blew them up because they were the best in town. Uh, you know, just to be very cautious about that. You know, don't 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 take that lightly, because uh, if you enter the business the wrong way, it'll end up holding you back once you get really really good because you know, of the associations you know that you made along the way. Uh, but back then. I felt so lucky just to be, first of all, just to be getting tattooed at Ed Hardy's shop was fucking bananas. Um, it was in the location that's the one before he's in now. Um, it was on Columbus street, um, under a tree. I remember, I remember if you walked by casually and just looked, you know, to, into the shop, it was windows across the whole front of the shop and you could see all the stations. I think there was four. And uh, often, you, you know, the curtains would be open and you could see people tattooing. And, you, you know, a lot of people would stop and gawk because it was a very, very popular strip for uh, tourism. Uh, it was kind of, if you were going to go to North Beach, you were going to end up walking past Tattoo City one way or the other just to see all the other stuff. Um, and I remember thinking that was really cool because up to that point a lot of the shops that I had seen uh, people were tucked away like even at a uh, fine line tattoo in Albuquerque when I was still a teenager I don't think you could see the tattooers from the lobby um, it was certainly that way at Everlasting because it was such a small custom shop everybody had their own little kind of uh, not a cubicle but a little space and uh, you couldn't really see see them all at once if I remember right um so Tattoo City was neat because you could just walk by and see people tattooing and if you knew anything about tattooing you'd also realize you're looking at probably the top people within the top hundred tattooers in the whole world for sure um you know back then uh when I was getting tattooed by Nala I think Chris Khan was there who's fucking amazing and I ended up getting tons of tattoos both sleeves and a bunch of stuff on my legs from Chris he also did my throat and my back of my head um put a lot of time in with Chris but that's where we met was at uh Tattoo City in the early 90s um Colin Stevens was there too he was a real interesting character like a kind of like a cool quiet kind of biker dude at sight but 
if I remember right, he grew up in Japan and spoke Japanese and did picture-perfect Japanese-style tattoos, but a white dude in San Francisco. But, motherfucker, I mean, if you've never heard of Colin Stevens and you're a tattooer, you need to look that name up. Uh, Colin with one L. Absolutely amazing. Um, maybe not the easiest de- dude to deal with as a customer. Um, my friend Diego got a back piece from him that's just, it's incredible. It's, it's perfect in every re- regard, in every spot on it. It's a very, very complicated Tibetan Tonka painting style piece, and it's, it's impeccable. But if I remember right, Diego would show up his, for his appointment, and they might not get started until like two or three hours later, and then they're in, what don't finish tattooing until like three in the morning <laughs> and you know if 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 you're getting tattooed a lot um it takes a lot out of you and i think for some people doing that late at night when you're already kind of exhausted from the day can be really brutal i often would opt to get tattooed as early in the day as i could whenever um, just so I would be awake, kind of in full energy mode, and ready to, like, tackle a really physical task, you know, almost like a, a workout, you know, it's like getting tattooed for three or four hours on your ribcage, it feels like you're just so exhausted um, at the end of that, you know, and I think you got to kind of gear yourself up for that, and to, again, to do that at, like, starting at midnight that fucking sucks (laughs) but some people like to get tattooed in the middle of the night so to each his own um but who i'm trying to think who else was there i think uh i know ed would come by here and there he wasn't tattooing very much but he would come by sometimes i remember it would put the guys on edge when ed would show up because that usually meant ed was pissed about something or needed to air something out with the guys <laughs> so they're like oh fuck i've definitely seen mr hardy uh in kind of uh aggro mode never out of hand but uh it, yeah if something's not going right he'll let you know um i remember uh that i think it was that year uh G- greg carroll who was one of the owners at think and pretty much my best friend at the time my like rave partner and on occasion and i just love greg he's the man and uh i think him and uh craig stessex uh thought up an idea to do a a think uh a rocker tattoo like across his stomach on uh in these really ornate letters that spelled out the word think and uh i think i think nala did it for him uh and they photographed it. I think they videoed it for an ad. Um, but if I also remember right, I think Greg took an ecstasy that day <laughs> to see what that would be like getting tattooed on ecstasy. And I, I think he reported back that it was somewhat helpful. Um, I think he kind of laughed through the pain, if I remember correctly, but it still hurt like almighty hell. <laughs> Stomach sucks. But that was just a, a 
to me a, a wonderful random detail from that era where E was just flowing and we were just taking it just in these very different situations than club scenes and stuff just to see you know experimenting you know I suppose doing some of the work that the uh, MDMA therapists offer now legitimately you know like uh, just figuring out where it's helpful and where it's not uh let's see oh i wanted to mention my friend uh igor too i think that's his name i can't remember but that sounds right he was this gigantic i don't know if he was polish or something you know and his ethnicity but he was just this big gigantic scary guy in a skinhead too um i don't know exactly what kind of skinhead he was to be honest if he was racist or not because that was a you know something of a distinction to be made back then um but he was also a notorious drug dealer and basically taught some friends of mine how to deal in substantial quantities and probably hooked him up with you know his sources and whatnot but this guy igor was fucking scary i think he worked the doors at clubs and stuff sometimes um but for, i might have been as tall as him or almost as tall so that was kind of a random thing like how do i explain that like sometimes big fucking scary dudes if you're just as big as them but not as scary there's something uh, I don't know there's something about that where like they're kind of they let their guard down a little bit I, I don't know how to explain that but that's how it was with this dude Igor for some reason I think he knew I was an artist too I think he knew about my notoriety as a graffiti writer um he had seen some stuff I'd painted in the clubs that he was working the door at um but we had a decent rapport and I remember he had badass tattoos and I wasn't scared to ask him about shit straight up and ask him to show me more because he had really good shit it turns out he was going to uh, San Francisco just before I had moved there in like 91 92 if I remember right and he was buying huge quantities of drugs to take back to New Mexico. But while he was there, he was getting tattooed mostly at Primal Urge. And at that time, he was getting tattooed by uh, Marcus Pacheco. He got a bunch of these big, like, chrome bugs tattooed on him by Marcus that were really... Uh, I didn't understand why Igor was getting them. I, I should say, some of the... Igor was getting really uh fuck you tattoos he hated cops he had a bunch of very upfront violent looking anti-cop tattoos uh sketchy shit you know but then he'd also have these like incredibly ornate like chrome bugs and things if again if i remember correctly this was a long time ago um, but I just remember tripping out on that shit. And whenever I would see Igor, either in San Francisco or in Albuquerque, I would stop him and be like, hey, man, are you, have you gotten any new tattoos? And I remember people I would be with, like, 
how the fuck do you know that sketchy motherfucker? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I just, he, I know him. He's he's okay. I know he's sketchy, but he doesn't fuck with me for some reason. And he gets really fucking good tattoos. He spends a lot of money on them. Um, but that was a, a big thing. I remember when I then moved to San Francisco in October of 93 uh, and was living literally next door to Everlasting. Well, just up the fucking street, maybe eight blocks, was Primal Urge. It was, uh, again, a, a, a whole different kind of tattoo shop in my mind. First of all, it was on a second floor. That was the first shop I'd ever been to that wasn't on the street. Um, right away, that was different. And uh, you, you just kind of knew that people weren't just walking in off the street to get tattooed there. You really had to know it was there. I mean, there was barely any signage, too. I remember the first time I went having to look around and look around and then realize, oh, shit, it's upstairs. Duh. There's the sign. Um, but that was that was some wild shit. Like, Marcus was there. Um, who else was there? I, th I I feel like I remember when Tim, Tim Lehigh was there. Jeff Rasher was there. I actually maybe... When was that? I guess that was a, a maybe a year or two later in like 95, 6. I was dating a girl that was getting tattooed by Jeff Rasher. And I remember the front door was locked. But the back door was unlocked. And I wanted to go get some food or sodas or something. Um, and I went out the back door. And then I went out the... Uh, there was like a those iron gates with the spikes on top in San Francisco. In front of all those old Victorians. And uh, when I left, the you know, gate just opened up, of course, you know, from the inside. And shut behind me. And then uh, I went off to the corner store and got some drinks. And uh, came back... And realized, duh, the fucking gate's locked. You know, how are you going to get to the back door? Stupid. So, I just got my graffiti pants on. <laughs> not not literally, but, you know, I, I was like, fuck it. I, I can climb. So, I climbed up this iron gate in front of this Victorian. And uh, just as I'm getting over the top of it, my foot slips. And... If if you know, like, those literally have these, like, arrowhead spikes uh, about six inches apart, maybe eight or nine, um, just in a row, like the top of a fence, you know, to keep people like my stupid ass from climbing over, thinking, oh, you might get impaled. Well, <laughs> I fucking foot slipped out, and I just happened to land on top of the, the gate with the spikes on either side of my left thigh as I was kind of making the turn to come over my foot slipped and I landed on top and I just looked down and was like holy fucking shit that could have been really bad you know but I was fine I was skinny enough at the time that my leg just was just right just slipped between the points and uh i was fine so i i was able to climb down i do remember though as i was climbing down maybe just another step or two i was i had my foot on something like a utility box or something on the side of the wall and it broke right out of the fucking wall 
And I was like, fuck, I am so blowing it tonight. But I was able to get to the back door of the shop. It was still open. I went in. My friend was still getting tattooed. She's getting this amazing, uh, it was a lower back piece. It certainly wasn't a tramp stamp, but it was kind of down in that area. And it was so fucking cool. And I got to watch uh, Mr. Rasher tattoo for maybe half an hour. And I was already working at Think Skateboard, so I was kind of drawing as a living. And just to see this guy, how he drew things and, you know, his process and from the, the tracing uh with just a single line pencil of the whole design and then the stencil and then to see how he calligraphied lines and used shading to develop uh, texture and depth and all of that. I mean, that was, those, that was one of those early, early, early formative experiences in the tattoo world w well before I started tattooing myself. Um, I was trying to take advantage of those uh, situations to go watch people. And my friends knew that too. And they would, asked me like hey do you want to come be my my buddy at the tattoo shop now i kind of frown on that but at the time i was so thankful i remember uh when i worked at think i worked with all the pro skateboarders and at a certain point uh we started a secondary company called adrenaline and uh i did a few graphics for adrenaline uh i was able to get my friend sam flores out from albuquerque to do the i think the majority of the the stuff for adrenaline uh, which was really fucking fun. But uh, one of the guys that rode for Adrenaline was this dude, Jaya Bondaroff, who passed away, I can't remember when. I think it's been quite a while. Uh, but Jaya was the shit. Uh, real uplifting spirit. Uh, really good skateboarder. Really serious about skateboarding. Um, and was getting really fucking cool tattoos. And at a certain point, he was getting his back done by Aaron Kane. I think it was some gargoyles and things, if I remember right. Uh, but Aaron was cool enough to let me hang out for not not super long. <laughs> Maybe like 15 minutes or so. And, you know, just kind of was looking at me weird. Like, why are you just standing here, dude? Like, you know, let me do my work. And I bounced. But uh, watching him work, too, was kind of incredible. I, I felt like he worked really, really fast. Uh, seemed like, with my level of inexperience at the time, that he was running his machines really fast and hard and was just f fucking getting to it. And I love uh, how fat he would let his lines get sometimes, um, depending on the, the kind of tattoo. It, that level of boldness really, really appealed to me. Um, so let's see. I'm looking at my notes here. Where are we at with time? Oh, shit. Hold on. Technical difficulties because my computer went to sleep. There we go. We're at 50 minutes. So, you know, I think I'm just going to stop there. That's good because I'll, I'll jump into 95 on the next one. Um, but that's that's pretty much it for this kind of uh, compendium to 1994 I just thought it was really important to get into some of that early tattoo stuff because that obviously had a, a huge impact later on so uh, yeah thanks for listening I'll be back with the next episode uh, very soon thanks <laughs>